Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, uh, we're continuing our series called Dreams of Christmas. And if you've got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 2. Um, it's on page 1,516 in the Bible that's in the pew rack in front of you. So uh, if you don't have a Bible or you don't know your way around the Bible, um, you can impress all your friends by just going right to that page like you knew it was right there. Um, um, but that's, that's the text we're going to be looking at here in, in a few moments. The Oxford English Dictionary recently credentialized a, a word. Actually, several years ago, they, they, they credentialized this word. They do this every once in a while. There's a, there's a, a word that sort of arises in culture, and then they, they put it in a dictionary so people know what it means. The word they credentialized is the word uh, bling. Um, they, they, they credentialize it. And for those of you who don't know what bling is, uh, it's a short definition in the dictionary. It says expensive ostentatious clothing or jewelry. Um, is it, you know, big, gaudy, bright baubles, the chunky gold chains, the rhinestone-encrusted sequin uh, uh, attached to uh, clothing that um, is all about, you know, about you, you being noticed, uh, people being noticed. Um, you can bling just about anything these days. You can bling it out. Here's some of these examples. I borrowed Rob Pepping's hat. Uh, he wears to work every, every day here at church. He took a picture of it. Um, and then we've got an iPhone. You can bling out your iPhone. You can you notice there on the on, you know the thumbnail there has got some bling on it. You can even bling out your toilet. I don't know why, but you can do this. If you want to follow the king of bling, here he is, Brian Bling Bling Candelo. Um, I mean, this guy, he's, he's got this down. Sorry, I just couldn't help, but... Uh, Give my friend a little attention. Hey, and bling is all about attention. Bling is all about, about being noticed. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, we don't just bling out objects and things, uh, clothing. Uh, bling has actually sort of made its way to our language. There's verbal bling. Even the words we use, um, there, there, there's hyperboles, these exaggerations. You know, everything is awesome, especially if you watch a Lego movie. Those of you who watch that, you know what I'm talking about. It's great. It's huge. And uh, it's epic. It's extraordinary. Um, if, if, if you were to go to Starbucks, which I, I wouldn't know why you go to Starbucks when we got Broadway Coffee House, but should you go to Starbucks and you want to order the smallest drink, you order a tall. Tall is small at Starbucks. If you want a medium drink, you order a grande, which in Spanish and Italian means large. But if you, if you want medium, you, you order large. If you, uh, years ago, Seattle's Best Coffee up in, in Seattle, Washington, uh, in one of their stores, uh, you go in. If you wanted to order the largest drink they had, you, you would order a grande supremo, to which Dave Barry, a columnist, later wrote and said that the only time that we should ever have to utter the words grande supremo is when we are tied to a stake and, are, and, are, and facing a tribal warlord. Uh, th- those, those words shouldn't have to be used. Yet, we, we like big words. We like, we like bling, whether it's verbal or whether it's clothing or something that we possess because we like to be noticed. We want to stick out. We, we, wanna, we don't want to be average. We, wanna, we don't want to be common. In fact, I would suggest to us that the loneliest word in our vocabulary today is the word Ordinary. Ordinary is the loneliest word in our vocabulary. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to live an ordinary life. 
Nobody wants an ordinary job. Nobody wants an ordinary marriage. Nobody goes out and buys a, st a bumper sticker to put on their car that says, my daughter is an ordinary student at, you know, whatever school they go to. All right? We want people to know that they're extraordinary, that they're, they're above average. Um, and in a world that, that loves to sort of bling it out, in a world that loves to, to sort of to stick out and be noticed, um, ordinary is sort of taken as a... It's, well, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's not desirable. In fact, recently, uh, a pastor, a well-known pastor, uh, tweeted this. Actually, last week he tweeted this. He said, you were never called to be average. You were never called to be average. And I, I appreciate much of what this pastor says, and I, I, I know what he's getting at, but here's the problem. What do you do if you're average? What do you do if, if you are ordinary? I mean, what if you don't stick out? In a world that loves to sort of bling out and be noticed, what if, what if you aren't noticed? Because our, our culture, our world, our society, we, we want to make a difference. We, we want to be above average. There's not one of us in the room that wants on our tombstone, here lies an ordinary person. We, we want to say, she changed the world. He made, it, he, he made a difference. We want to leave our mark. Now, here's the tension. When we get to the Christmas story, what we discover is that God has dreams for us. We've been in this, in this series, and we've been talking about uh, these dreams and, and how it expresses God's heart for us. Brian talked about um, Joseph's dream where the angel came to him and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He was distancing himself from Mary. Um, he didn't buy the whole story of uh, the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. Um, he wasn't the dad, and so he was distancing himself from her. But an angel said to him, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And Brian told us that sometimes fear can keep us from taking the faith risks that God is calling us to take. And even beyond that, sometimes we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, and because the circumstances are dif difficult, in fact, sometimes they're self-inflicted. We think that God's not present. He is the ever-present God. He is Emmanuel in all our circumstances. And so Brian talked to us about that. And last week, we looked at Matthew 2. We talked about this rescue, that we have a God who loves to rescue, and when we experience his rescue, he invites us to come alongside of him, and be a rescuer with him. God has intentionally placed people in your life and in my life who we are influencing in their, towards Jesus. So he, he's a rescuer. He's invited us to rescue right alongside with him. And today, what I, I want you to, to see these. There's actually two dreams that's found in, in Matthew 2. I did it again. I forgot my glasses. Um, so I'll put my Bible here and I'll step back and read this text. Um, and you're, you're thrown to me. Oh, those work too. Thanks. Oh. My wife told me last time I did this that just proves that I'm ordinary. Uh, thanks. Those aren't. Those, okay, they do work. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, Matthew two nineteen through uh, through the end of the chapter it says, "When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt." Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. 
But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. All right. Here you go. Thanks. Appreciate that. Um, I don't know if you've, you, if you, well, here's where we're at in the Christmas story. You know, Joseph and Mary came from Bethlehem, uh, came from Nazareth to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus had made this decree that there's a census that's going to take place. So they get to Bethlehem and, uh, and Jesus is born. And in that time in Bethlehem, we get the dream where they're supposed to evacuate and get down to Egypt. And, and so that's what happened last week. So they're, they're now in Egypt. And then we get this story. And they're down in Egypt because Herod the Great uh, wants to kill Jesus because his, his power is threatened. Um, that's sort of his pattern in life is to sort of stomp out the, the competition. So Jesus and the family is in Egypt. And then we get this dream here where it says the angel comes to the, the family in Egypt um, and tells them to get up and come back home. If you remember, the instruction, the instruction to Joseph was get up, leave, and stay in Egypt until I call you back home. And, and here's the moment. The dream happens. Uh, Joseph is told by an angel, get up and, and come back because Herod the Great has died. Now, they come back and they go to, to back to the region of Bethlehem and um, there's this leadership transition that's, that's taken place. And, and Herod's three sons who did, uh, who are still alive and survived their dad, uh, he, Herod in his will divides Israel up in three parts. And one of his sons, Herod Archelaus, has got control of Judea and Jerusalem. That's the region where Bethlehem is. And, uh, and so that's where Joseph and Mary go to. But Joseph is there and he has another dream. And so this time he leaves again because Archelaus is even more brutal than his dad. And so they, they push up north and they go to the region of Galilee, which, by the way, is ruled by a guy named Herod Antipas, uh, another one of Herod's sons. So they go to Galilee and they settle in uh, the, the town of Nazareth, which was Joseph and Mary's hometown to begin with. And the, the, the chapter ends by saying that uh, this fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Now, you've likely noticed this, that all through Matthew's gospel, especially in the Christmas story, what Matthew is doing, he is presenting Jesus as the Messiah. And as he's doing this, he knows that the Jews in Israel have prophecies that were spoken by prophets in the Old Testament. And so what Matthew is doing is he's building his case with Jesus. He's pointing back to these prophecies so that Jesus will be recognized as the anointed one, as the Messiah. So you see this early on uh, when Mary is, is with child and she's, um, she's a virgin, he, he points to Isaiah. The virgin will be, will, will be with child. I said this was prophesied in Isaiah. When, when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, he points to Micah and says, see, it says right there in Micah, Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, the, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. He points to Hosea to describe the fact that, that there will, the, the Messiah will have to go to Egypt and then he'll call his son out of Egypt. In fact, he points to Jeremiah. It even talks about the slaughter of the innocents, that there will be weeping in Ramah. So Matthew is building his case and pointing the, out the fact that Jesus will be the Messiah. And again, he does this in the end of chapter 2. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. Here's the problem. 
There is no prophecy in the Old Testament that says he will be called a Nazarene. There's, there's, there is no book in the Old Testament that says the Messiah will be called a Nazarene. It's not there. So I mean, you may be thinking, say, I knew it. I, man, I knew that the Bible had errors and contradictions. We can't trust what's being said here because here we go. It says right there that there's this, this prophet who said this, and, and you, you, it's, it's not anywhere in the Old Testament. And I can understand how you come to that conclusion, but what you really have to do is, is pay attention to it. It's just a subtle little clue of what, what Matthew is getting at here. Well, just put these verses up on the screen and how they end uh, in Matthew. Is he's, he's sort of nailing this back to prophecy. Chapter 1, verse 22. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. For this is what the prophet wrote, chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 15. This fulfilled what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. Uh, chapter 2, verse 17, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. And then chapter 2, verse 23, this fulfilled what the prophets had said. It's just a little subtle change, and it's found in this last line. We'll underline the word prophets. In all the other verses, it's the, the prophecy is linked back to a single prophet. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Hosea. This last one, it's prophets. It's not one person. It's multiple people that are, are saying that Jesus will be called a Nazarene. Now, what does that mean? Because that will help us understand what Matthew is getting at here. What's it mean to be a Nazarene? Other than the obvious that Jesus is from Nazareth. What it means to be a Nazarene is it means to be ordinary, common. In fact, in Jesus' day, it was sort of like calling someone a country bumpkin or like they're a hick from the sticks. Uh, it's just this idea that the Messiah, well, when he would come, he wouldn't come with celebrity status. He would actually come in ways that, that well, we just wouldn't be drawn to him. Let me just read a couple of those prophecies to help us understand what, what Matthew is getting at here. Psalm 22, verses 6 through 7. I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. This is a messianic psalm, meaning it's, it's, it's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, speaking of the Messiah, says the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Isaiah 53, this one is really to the point. There was nothing beautiful or majestic or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. To be called a Nazarene, and how Matthew is putting it forward, what he's saying is this is actually a thread of continuity that works its way all the way through the scriptures. What he's getting at is that the prophets, not one prophet, but multiple prophets, pointed to the fact that the Messiah would be ordinary. He'd be even insulted, looked down on. There's nothing about him that would naturally draw us to him, nothing that would attract us to him. Jesus is called a Nazarene. And in some way, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a, a slam. I mean, remember when Philip goes to Nathaniel to say that he's found the Messiah? John chapter 1, verse 46, captures this moment. Here's, here's Nathaniel's response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You, you see, if Joseph and Mary had stayed in Bethlehem, 
if, if, if it was Jesus of Bethlehem, that would have made perfect sense. Jesus of Bethlehem, Bethlehem, that's the village of kings. That's the royal village. That's, I mean, important people come out of Bethlehem. Jesus of Nazareth? Really? I mean, Kaiser, really? I, I know, I crossed the line, I crossed the line. Stay, I tend to do that. In, in, in the Midwest, in the Midwest, there's, I, I'm, I'm told that this is what happens, is, is that when, when somebody doesn't quite fit in or they just don't seem like, there's eh, just something missing, you know, the oil isn't quite touching the dipstick or it's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, you know this, the sayings that are, that are there, that this, this person is a little bit odd. What they say in the Midwest, I'm told, is that that person's from Arkansas or, or Alabama. So no, no offense intended, but it, it's just the way, of, the way culture is, is saying, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where the backward people come from. The common, uncivilized people come from. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. Jesus will be called a Nazarene. The Messiah will be ordinary. And yet there's something about us that sort of pushes back at the idea of being ordinary. We, we don't want to be ordinary. You know, we, we, we want to we make our lives matter. We want to make a difference. And, and, and we, we, we want to be known for making a difference. And in fact, this is, you know, there's all these causes these days. And they're, they're good causes. And many of them are responses to injustices in our world. And, and, and that's, that's good. And, and, but much of it is driven and that, that we want to make a name for it. We don't want to be ordinary. We don't want to be known as common. And culture is picking up on this. This isn't just something, you know, Christian people are noticing. This is, the, the culture is, is noticing this as well. I don't know if you've heard of the onion. Uh, not like the, the vegetable, but the, there's actually an online newspaper that's called The Onion, and they poke fun at culture. It's a satirical website. Um, and they do, they do articles to make fun of things that are happening in our world. Um, here's an example of a couple headlines. Uh, Clinton deploys vowels to uh, Bosnia, uh, these two cities, to be the first recipients. <laughs> Just kind of poking fun at names. And uh, here's another one. CIA realizes it's been using black highlighters all these years. <laughs> so you kind of get the point, right? They're kind of poking fun at, at stuff, and it, it's funny. Well, um, the Onion has noticed our desire for significance. The Onion has noticed that we are an ambitious people. Um, let me just read this, this little excerpt uh, from, uh, from The Onion. It's, this is not a true story. This is a made-up one as they poke fun at our ambitiousness. It says, Longtime acquaintances confirmed to reporters this week that local man Michael Husmer and... and an unambitious 29-year-old loser who lives an enjoyable and fulfilling life still lives in his hometown and has no desire to leave. Sources close to Husman reported that the man who has meaningful, lasting personal relationships and a healthy work-life balance is an unmotivated washout who's perfectly comfortable being a nobody for the rest of his life. I've known Mike my whole life, and he's a good guy, but it's pretty pathetic that he's still living on the same street he grew up on and experiencing a deep sense of personal satisfaction. 
childhood friend David Gorman said of the unaspiring, completely gratified do-nothing. He doesn't, he doesn't care about impressing strangers or climbing the corporate ladder when he can invest in the lives of those closest to him. He doesn't have a thousand friends on Facebook, just a close family and a circle of friends in town. I'm glad I didn't end up like Mike. The Onion is even poking fun at how captivated we are in making a name for ourselves. And how we, we want to distance ourselves from being ordinary. Uh, yet Jesus came in such peculiar fashion. Uh, he, he came in such a way that it, it's under the radar and... and and his birth, while it's extraordinary, actually is very ordinary. In fact, very few people notice. I mean, you've got some wise, wise men who, who are seeing some signs in the heaven, and they come to Israel, and Israel doesn't even know anything about the birth of the king of the Jews in Bethlehem. Um, Herod's got to go find out from somebody where this king is supposed to be born. Uh, and, and the angels appear, but they don't appear to the top-tier level of society. They actually appear to people who are, who are some would describe as really below ordinary, shepherds. These are, these are not trustworthy, trustworthy people. These are people who are known for kind of stealing things as they make their way around the country. Uh, Jesus' birth is really peculiar. It's almost like God goes to extremes that his son would be born in such a hidden fashion. No celebrity status from the beginning, no fireworks, no confetti, just a quiet birth in a manger in Bethlehem. It's so common. And ordinary. Yet there's something within us that, that chafes against that. Have, have you noticed that words today have a different meaning than they did you know, years ago? Like the word bad. Go back 100 years. The word bad, um, 100 years ago, when you said something was bad, it meant that it was not good. It was bad. <laughs> Shocking, I know. <laughs> Today, in, in the right context, if you say something's bad, it's good. If today you say something uh, is, is, is sick, I mean, 100 years ago if you said something was sick, it was diseased or unhealthy, and you might have to put it down. Today, if something is sick, it's, it's pretty cool. It's good. Um, uh, and, 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 and this word ambition, you know, if you walked up to someone 100 years ago, and you, tell, you said to them, I've recognized that you have very little ambition in life. They would have taken that as a compliment. I think as Michael Horner points this out in his, in his book called Ordinary. Um, today you walk up to someone, you say, you have very little ambition in life. It's an insult. You go back decades, centuries, to this whole concept of ambition, and it was typically seen in a negative light. Yet today, if someone's unambitious, they're a lazy good-for-nothing. Because we want to leave our mark. We want to change the world. We want to make a difference. We want that tombstone to say, he changed the world, she changed the world. We want our name on that hospital. We want our name on that school. We want our name on that plaque. We want to be noticed. We live out this, this blinged-out life. Yet Jesus came bling-free. Uh, Paul, writing to an early church in, in Philippi, said these words. He said, do nothing. 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And now you notice I got the line through uh, selfish there. That's because in, in, in the original manuscripts, that word selfish isn't there. It just said ambition. But translators had to put the word selfish in so that we would understand that ambition's bad. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Be- what Paul is getting at here is our desire to be noticed. Yet we follow a Messiah who went to great lengths to be unnoticed. We love the bling. He came bling free. God's dream for you and I. What if God's dream for you and I is that we be ordinary? Maybe you're carrying a bunch of pressure. I, I gotta do something with my life. I, I gotta do something significant. What if that pressure could just be released and and you get to be you. I get to be me. And we just are ordinary. Uh, scriptures say that God uses the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And I tell people, I'm living proof. <laughs> but there's something within us that wants to rise to the top. I mean, Sh- Sh- Shakespeare captures this again. Shakespeare in, in, his, in his Hamlet, um, in Hamlet, he says these words, dreams indeed are ambition, for the substance of the ambitious is merely the shadow of a dream. I hold ambitious, ambition of so airy and light a quality that it is but a shadow's shadow. Can you hear the negative connotation to ambition? Now, fast forward to our day and age, to a crusty old general in World War II, Patton, this is what Patton said, I do not fear failure. I only fear the slowing up of the engine inside of me, which is pounding, saying, keep going. Someone must be on top. Why not you? Friends, This is our world today, a world to which Paul would write, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, yet there's there's something within us that wants to be perceived as the top of the ladder, top of the pyramid, the one who accomplished it, the one who discovered it, the one who invented it, or who wrote it, sang it. We love to be noticed. We have a God who I believe has a dream for us to enjoy being who we are and being ordinary. And that's not an insult. That's our Savior's beginning. Yet when he made himself ordinary, then, then, then the Father exalted him. But we want to skip the humbling part. We want to go right to the exaltation. Now let's just bring this Christmas story. Let's go from a manger in Bethlehem. Let's come to, to Salem 2015 and talk about what this could mean for us here and today. Just a couple things I'd love to say to us today. Uh, first one is this. Don't devalue a hidden life. If, if your life is one that's behind the scenes, please do not see that life as one that's less significant than one who is up front or more public. Uh, one, one person has said that Everyone wants to lead a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. Everyone wants to, that, that position, that place where they can change the world. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that it's actually the everyday vocations that keep the gifts in circle, keep them in motion. And every once in a while, someone pops out as being extraordinary. But the pressure from our society to us is that we're all supposed to be extraordinary. God never called you to be average. Take a deep breath. Let that weight go. You get to be you. I get to be me. He's the one who's above average. 
Don't devalue the hidden life. There used to be a day when the primary understanding was we wanted to change our hearts. But now the pendulum has swung, and now we want to change the world. And that's good. There are injustices in our world where God's justice needs to intervene. There are people being oppressed. There are people that are hungry. There are people who don't have clothing. There are people without shelter, without health insurance. There's, there's people in circumstances where they need God's mercy. Then, and changing that situation is a very good thing. But may it flow from changed hearts. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Out of the change in our hearts, what we deliver to our world and to those oppressive circumstances is a demonstration of who Christ is. Don't devalue the hidden life. Second thing, oh, actually, here's a verse I think is really important. We don't, we don't talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, Paul, 55 AD, says, make it your ambition to live a quiet life. That'd be a great memory verse. So much noise in our world. So much bling. Here's the last thing I'd say to us. Recognize the importance of unimportance. Recognize the importance of unimportance. This is modeled in Christ's birth. Born in a manger. To a blue-collar family. Who, when they dedicate their son, have to opt out and use the sacrifice that's, that's, that's there for people who don't have money. They, they have to go around where, for poor people. He's born into a blue-collar family, a, a family of poverty. Came from a backwood town called Nazareth. No one, no one really knows. He was just ordinary. Aren't you the carpenter's son? What good comes out of Nazareth? And yet, he's the Savior. He's Christ the Lord. Recognize the importance of unimportance. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13 contain the Lord's Prayer in which, where it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Some versions say, Our Father who art in heaven, honor, may your name be honored. Our Father who art in heaven, awe is due your name. Really, when it all is, is distilled and boiled down, we live our common, ordinary lives serving an extraordinary Savior. We get to do, we get to be involved in some things that are, that are important. Please don't hear me say, don't take initiative. Please don't hear me say, be passive, be lazy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you just don't have to be noticed. It isn't about making a great name for you. It's not make, about making a great name for me or for us. It's about making a great name for Jesus Christ. That's why we would want to change our world. That's why I would want to, to, to live out my, my life and, and express my talents, whether they're noticed or unnoticed, uh, because I, if I want any name remembered, I want the name of Jesus Christ remembered. When that is our motive, then God's dream is being realized in his people. So I say this Christmas, go for it. Go for it. Make a great name for Jesus. One, one, one short little story, and, and I'll be done, I promise. Trina and I were at a conference years ago. It was, it was, a, it was, you know, it was pretty full. And there was an author who came to speak, which is, I don't know if you ever heard an author speak. Sometimes that's risky to hear an author speak because they're great authors, but sometimes they're not really great speakers. This particular person was both. 
significant author, significant speaker, spoke for three days. At the end of his last talk, um, the host came up on the platform and um, just thanked this person for speaking and for just significantly touching our lives. And, um, and people started applauding. They started clapping for him. And, um, and everyone got on their feet. It was, he got a standing ovation. And, and I remember this so clearly. It just stuck with me. He had this kind of look on his face. And then he started clapping, which is odd because we're clapping. He was doing this. And then he just turned around and just did this. In a moment, what he did is he redirected applause to the one who's worthy. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to applaud someone. I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, in fact, scriptures say to honor people. We're to encourage one another. It's okay to notice each other. But in that moment, what he was doing is he was still teaching. He took a moment when he could have received the praise and, and said thank you. And what he did is he just redirected it to the person who gave him his creative gifts anyhow. And I've never forgotten it. May we be a people who redirect honor and praise to the one who's, who, who, who deserves it. You, you don't have to be afraid of people saying, good job. But thank God that he's gifted you in such a way that you could bring honor to his name. Let's pray that in. So Lord, this Christmas, this Christmas, we're reminded once again of the humble approach that you took when you came to us. You went to great lengths to not impress us that you might impress us. There was a day, Lord, you hung on that cross. We thought this whole thing was done. And that grave was empty. You were glorified. And it started making sense. Your disciples started putting the pieces together. It's like, oh my Thank you, Lord. Forgive us for the days that we have been infected with a narcissistic worldview. Forgive us, Lord, when we have been caught admiring ourselves in the mirror, plotting ourselves. Cleanse us of all that yuck and redirect our gaze Expand our vision that we might see just how wonderful and beautiful you are. We know it. Grow us in our knowledge of you. And empower us, Holy Spirit, to make a great name for Jesus. It is in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.